All right. Well, again, I mentioned earlier that uh, what I wanted to do this afternoon is to deal more thoroughly or um, comprehensively with this issue of the high priestly role of Christ and the necessity. I mentioned that earlier today that since the entrance of sin into the world, it is only possible for us to be acceptable in the sight of God and for our worship to be acceptable in the sight of God only by means of a high priest. There is no worship of God after the entrance of sin into the world without a high priest who is representing the people of God to God. So all of our worship must be transacted through him. And he is the one, the high priest, is the one who makes the worship of the the people and the worship acceptable in the sight of God because of the very character and nature of God. God is holy, and his eyes are so pure that he cannot even look upon evil. How can we be acceptable in his sight? And how can our worship be pleasing to him, seeing that it is stained with so much sin? Even as believers, our worship right before God, even today, we've drawn near to God, we've come to God to worship him, but do we not still possess a flesh? We still have the flesh, The flesh is weak, the spirit is willing, the flesh is still weighed down with many weaknesses, with many infirmities, with many things that make our worship unacceptable in the sight of God. So how then can God accept it? How can our prayers come before him and those prayers be pleasing in the sight of God, seeing that they come from us and we are a mixture of both good and evil, and that there is this evil that is mixed in in all the things that we do because no matter what we do, we still have a body of flesh that is still corrupted in this way. So how can we and how can our worship and our duties that we are to perform before God, how can they be acceptable in his sight? And this is why there is the necessity of a high priest because the high priest represents the people and transacts the whole of the worship of God of the people. He presents it to God so that it becomes pleasing in his sight. And this is what our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, does for us. And why it is that he is the only one who can perform this role. The priests of the Old Covenant were not able to do this. They never were able to represent the people in this way because they themselves were in need of representation. They needed a high priest to make what they did acceptable in the sight of God. And that is why they were never able to present to God a worship that could be acceptable just on the basis of their own person and merit. It all had to come through Christ, and even that worship in the Old Covenant before the coming of Christ. We know that they were true believers, and we know that they drew near to God, and we know that they worshiped God, such as Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Moses, uh, Samuel, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, all of the righteous, uh, Enoch, Noah, they were found pleasing in the sight of God. Well, on the basis of whom? How were they pleasing in the sight of God? And they were purified on the basis of what Christ would do, of his high priestly role that had not yet been transacted in terms of he was not incarnate yet, he had not taken on human flesh yet, he had not died on the cross and rose from the grave and passed through the heavens in terms of human history, but on the basis of what Christ would do, God received them into his fellowship and he accepted their person, and he accepted their offering. This was seen in Genesis chapter 4 with Abel, right? God had regard for Abel and for his offering. But how can God have regard for that man, seeing that that man came from his father, who is Adam, and who was dead in his trespasses and sins? And it's always on the basis of Christ. So God received Abel into his fellowship on the basis of the high priestly role of Christ. Though he had not accomplished it in terms of human history, God received them on the basis of the promise of what he would do through Christ and accepted them and their worship through him. So everything must pass from us to God through Christ. And Christ is the one that sanctifies and purifies us and our worship of all the defilements that come from our flesh. And this is his high priestly role. This is what he does in exercising the role of high priest over the household of God, which is why the majority of Hebrews is taken up with this topic, explaining why it is that Jesus is the fulfillment 
of this seminal role that brings about salvation. And where it is that he performs this ministry, how it is that he does it. This is as we read earlier from Hebrews 9, 11 to 14. Not in the tabernacle on earth, the one made with human hands, but the one that is not of this creation. There before the very presence of God. And this is why we just read in Hebrews 4, 16, that we have confidence to come before the throne of grace to receive mercy in our time of need. Because of our high priest who is there representing us, being a mediator between God and us. On his basis, we are acceptable in the sight of God. So this is what we want to deal with more fully this, this afternoon. And I will, but for sake of uh, clean conscience, much of this and much of what you're going to hear uh, throughout the book of Hebrews is, uh, a, a lot of it is coming from John Owen. John Owen, the Puritan pastor and commentator, is very good at explaining these things and very thorough and deep in his explanation of these things. And there's a lot of content there. And many times an hour on Sunday morning is not sufficient to exhaust the depths of everything that is there in the scriptures. And so if time is necessary for the further explanation of these things, we have Sunday afternoon. So we can always steal an hour here or there in order to give a fuller explanation of these things. However, if you would want to read something that is beneficial for your own sanctification and your understanding of salvation and what Christ has done, I would recommend those commentaries on the book of Hebrews written by the Puritan pastor John Owen, but it is not for the faint of heart, okay? So I will give you that caveat. Uh, it is very deep and you're wading into the, into the deep water. Uh, so it is not a casual reading, but it is very beneficial and would be very fruitful for you to do so. Okay, so we'll begin then this afternoon. First, <clears throat> number one, five points. Before sin entered into the world, there was no need of the office of high priest between God and man. When God created Adam, Adam communed directly with God. Adam's person and his worship were acceptable to God because, as we read this morning from question 10 of our catechism, he was created in truth, righteousness, and holiness. He had knowledge of God. He had original righteousness and holiness in that there was no sin that would separate him from his God, right? Sin is the problem that brings this great divide and separation between God and man, that makes man into an enemy with God, so that in our sinful state, there is enmity between God and man. God has no regard for man. Man is his enemy, and God is our enemy, right, because of our own sin. Now, in this, God is blameless, and we are all at fault. Right? There is an enmity between God and man. God is justified in his hatred of sinful man because man, the creature, has violated the law of God, the creator. We are completely unjustified in our hostility toward God. It is rebellion of the highest order. And because of sin and the separation that it brings, there is the need for a mediator. But before the entrance of sin into the world, this was not the case. Adam was to serve God, was to commune with God, was to fellowship with God, was to bring his duty and his worship to God. And had he maintained his original state of innocence or of righteousness, then he would have had this communion with God in this way. And that is what he had in his creation. So Adam went directly to God. His person and worship were acceptable to the Lord because there was no sin in him. And again, had he maintained this innocence, then the office of high priest would not have been necessary. Just as it is with the holy angels. Right? The holy angels each perform his worship and service to God without the need of a high priest over them. Because we read earlier in Hebrews chapter 2 that Jesus does not give help to who? He doesn't give help to angels. Who does he give help for? He gives help for the descendants of Abraham. Because the angels, the holy ones, because they are sinless, there is no need for them to have a mediator or a high priest sanctifying them and their service to God because they are not tainted with sin as we are. Now, if the fallen angels were to be reconciled to God, then they would need to have a mediator. They would need to have a high priest over them, and in which case the Son of God would have to take on 
their angelic nature and die for them, for their sins. But God did not send Jesus into the world to redeem angels, to redeem fallen angels. He only sent him to redeem fallen men, right? Fallen men. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 16. Hebrews 2.16 says, For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are being tempted. He doesn't give help to angels. This is why the Son of God did not take on the nature of an angel. But whose nature did he take on at his incarnation? He took on our nature because he did not come to help the angels, but he did come to help sinful men, to help sinful men. So before sin entered the world then, there was no need of this office of high priest between God and man, but Adam communed directly with God. His person and worship were acceptable to the Lord because there was no sin in him. Then number two, by the entrance of sin into the world, man can no longer worship God directly. His person and his offering is repugnant to God. Everything about us in our sin is detestable in the sight of God. Both the person and the offering are detestable in the sight of God, right? This is after the entrance of sin into the world. Man cannot directly worship God anymore on the basis of his own standing because he has no righteousness. He is sinful from head to toe. He is leprous all over. So his person is detestable. It is repugnant to God. And if that is what is true of his person then whatever proceeds from him by way of worship, by way of service, by way of a duty performed to God is also going to be spoiled with all of this sin. Because his person is sinful, everything about him is sinful. So whatever he presents to God is in and of itself defiled and it is detestable in the sight of God. And this is why we cannot stand before God on our own basis, right? On the basis of our own righteousness, our own merit, our own standing, but we are in need of a mediator, someone to represent us to God in this behalf. This is as we referenced earlier in terms of Abel, Abel being both accepted, Abel was accepted and his offering was accepted to God, but the opposite was true of Cain. Both Cain the person and the offering of Cain were repugnant to God. God did not find them pleasing in his sight, but he rejected both his person and his offering, right? And his offering because it was filled with sin. It was filled with sin and in much corruption. Isaiah, 5, Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 15. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 15 says, So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Here, the prayers, right? Prayer is an act of worship that we present to God. We are to offer prayers to God. Yet when they offer their prayers to God, God will not listen to them for what reason? Their hands are covered with blood, which is a sign and symbol of their sin. Their sin makes their prayers detestable in the sight of God. Even before that, he talks about their offerings, their sacrifices, their new moon festivals. These things are all a wearisome burden to God because they're presenting those things on the basis of their own Sin. They themselves are sinful, and they're doing these things in sinful ways. Isaiah 59. Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2. Isaiah 59, 2 says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. 
and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. There your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God so that he doesn't hear you. Whatever worship a man presents to God with sin, right, there is a separation and God does not regard it. It is not pleasing to him, but actually it brings more condemnation upon him because even that worship presented through his sinfulness, it just adds more and more guilt and condemnation upon the man. Amos chapter 3. Amos chapter 3. Amos chapter 3, verse 3. Do two men walk together unless they have made an appointment? How can two men walk together unless there is some agreement, unless there is some covenant between the two? How can God and man walk together unless they are in agreement? And yet, God and man are not in agreement in terms of our sin. God is righteous and we are sinful. So how can we walk with God when we are in this state? How can we have any communion, any relationship with him while we were in that state. And again, that was manifested even in the Garden of Eden. After the sin of Adam and Eve, they were hiding themselves from God. When God came walking in the Garden to commune with them, there was not agreement with them anymore, and so they were not walking with God. They were hiding from him because of the knowledge, the guilt, and shame from their sin. Also, Proverbs 21 Proverbs 21 and verse 27. Proverbs 21, verse 27. says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with evil intent? The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to God. When the wicked offer their sacrifices to God on the basis of their own standing before God, that sacrifice, which is an act of worship, is an abomination in God's sight. It's not pleasing to him at all, but he finds it very detestable. Then Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3, verses 22 to 24 Genesis 3.22, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the gate of the garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So here, being cast out of the garden and denied access to the tree of life shows this separation between God and man in that there is a cherubim with a flaming sword turning every direction, meaning man cannot come into God's presence anymore. Because of his sinfulness, the way is closed and there is this separation, this great void between God and man. He is in heaven and we are on earth. And no one in a state of sin can obtain acceptance before God. Both his person and his duties are detestable in the sight of God. And we know that all men are born in this state. We are all born in this state because of Adam's sin and our inheritance, his headship over us in the Garden of Eden we all enter into this world under the guilt and condemnation of sin, right? And this is why it says in Romans 3.20, by works of the law, no human being will be declared righteous in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And then Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So because of the entrance of sin into the world, we can no longer worship God directly. We cannot come before his presence based upon our own standing we would be completely consumed by him. He is a consuming fire, and in our sin, we are stubble and straw. We are dry wood, and we would be consumed by him in an instant in that way. Then number three, 
For true worship of God to be restored again in the world, it is necessary for someone to stand as a mediator between God and man. The entrance of sin requires a mediator to stand in between God and man, to represent man to God and to represent God to man, right? After sin, men cannot offer any acceptable worship to God without a mediator, right? He cannot stand on his own merit or on his own righteousness because of sin. He is completely corrupted from head to toe, right? Every aspect of his being is completely defiled before God. Isaiah chapter 5, right? And this is the folly of free will. Because free willers believe that there is some aspect, some portion of man that is unaffected by sin. But the Bible teaches that this is not the case, but that every component of man is completely, thoroughly, totally depraved by sin. Isaiah 5, 24. Therefore, as a tongue of fire consumes stubble, and dry grass collapses into the flame. So their root will become like rot, and their blossom blow away as dust. For they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts, and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. On this account the anger of the Lord has burned against his people, and he has stretched out his hand against them and struck them down. And the mountains quaked, and their corpses lay like refuse in the middle of the street. For all his anger is not spent, but his hand is still stretched out. There, the fire consumes the stubble. Dry grass collapses into the flame. This is what we are before God in our sinful state. He is the flame, and we are the stubble and the dry grass. And if we approach God in our sin, we are going to be completely consumed and devoured by his wrath. This is what will happen to a man who seeks to stand on his own basis, on his own merit. Isaiah 33 as well. Isaiah 33, verses 10 to 16. Isaiah 33:10 says, Now I will arise, says the Lord. Now I will be exalted. Now I will be lifted up. You have conceived chaff. You will give birth to stubble. My breath will consume you like fire. The peoples will be burned to lime, like cut thorns which are burned in fire. You who are far away, hear what I have done, and you who are near, acknowledge my might. Sinners in Zion are terrified. Trembling has seized the godless. Who among us can live with a consuming fire? Who among us can live with continual burning? He who walks righteously and speaks with sincerity, he who rejects unjust gain and shakes his hand so that they hold no bribe. He who stops his ears from hearing about bloodshed and shuts his eyes from looking upon evil. He will dwell on the heights. His refuge will be the impregnable rock. His bread will be given to him. His water will be sure. There, they say, the sinners are terrified in Zion. They're trembling there among the godless because they say, who can live with the consuming fire? Who is the consuming fire but the Lord our God? And who among man can live with the consuming fire? Who can live with continual burning? None of us in our sinful state can live, can dwell with God because we would be consumed in his fury and in his wrath. Then he describes the one who can dwell with God, which is the furthest thing from describing us in our natural state. Who among us naturally walks in righteousness? Who naturally speaks with sincerity? Who naturally rejects unjust gain and shakes his hand so that there is no bribe? Who in their own nature stops their ear from hearing about bloodshed or shuts their eyes from looking upon evil? That's not true of any of us in our natural state. Now it does become true of us based upon redemption, but even then, not perfectly until the life to come. Even then, in our imperfection, we still couldn't stand before God, who is the consuming fire, right? Only our Lord Jesus Christ. So for this worship to be restored again in the world, 
there is necessary necessity of a mediator between God and man. And God, because He is rich in mercy, and because He seeks to manifest His glorious grace, has appointed the office of priest. The office of high priest was formulated in the mind of God. He is the one who foreordained it. Moses did not invent the office of high priest. God invented the office of high priest. He revealed it to Moses, who then instituted it, and it was executed through the person of Aaron in the Old Covenant. But the thought, the concept, originated in the mind and in the will of God. And this is because of God's grace and His mercy. He is the one who has established the office of high priest, that there would be one who would sanctify the sinful people and their worship in the presence of God for them, so that the people who on their own are detestable in the sight of God and who through themselves their worship is detestable in the sight of God, yet on the basis of this high priest, both they, their person, and their worship would be acceptable in God's sight. In themselves, what they offer on their own is not acceptable, but because of the high priest transacting their worship in God's sight, it becomes acceptable and it becomes pleasing in the sight of God. The high priest was established by God for this role of representing the people of God in making the persons and their worship pleasing in his sight. Number four, no creature, specifically no man, could ever undertake this office of being a high priest over the household of God, since all men are by nature sinners. Now we may say, well, Aaron was a high priest. He was as a shadow. But could Aaron fulfill this role in heaven in the sight of God? Could Aaron go, pass through the heavens, into the tabernacle that is not of his creation, stand in the very presence of God, and perform the role of mediator on behalf of the people of God? Could Aaron ever do this? And the answer is absolutely not. And no man can do this because all men stand in need of a mediator. We all need a high priest representing us to God. Moses needed a high priest. Aaron needed a high priest. David needed a high priest. John the Baptist needed a high priest. Everyone from Adam to the end of the world, all men need a high priest who is representing them to God. So how can any man serve as his high priest if they are all in need of such a ministry for them? A sinful man cannot serve as a mediator between God and man. Sinful men cannot mediate between other sinful men because they themselves are in need of this ministry. In Adam, all have died. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 22. And no one born from Adam will ever be qualified to serve in this office. In terms of the heavenly role and the heavenly fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment of these things. And this is because of Sin. Sin prohibits and disqualifies every single man in the history of the world from serving in this capacity. Romans chapter 3. Romans 3, 9 to 20, proves the universal sinfulness of men. Romans 3, 9 to 20, and what it says here of men in general was true of Aaron the high priest, of Eleazar the high priest, of Joshua the high priest that we read about, or any of the other high priests, even the good ones in the Old Covenant, this is true of all of them. So all of those high priests were in themselves of need of their own high priest to represent them to God. This is why they could never purify the people from their sins, because they themselves were impure, and their offerings were not acceptable to do these things. They were only beneficial as a teaching tool to point them to the greater sacrifice, the greater high priest, who is our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 3, verse 9. What then, are we better than they? No, not at all. For all, we've already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. 
Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep on deceiving. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed, and all the world may be accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes knowledge of sin. So that is a fitting description of Aaron and every member of his household. For the 1,400 years that they served as high priest, it can be said of them by nature that none of them were righteous, no, not one. So they were not qualified to serve in this capacity as high priest over the household of God. They could only do it by way of symbol or shadow, but they could not do it in terms of the substance of it in the heavenly places. And if we look at Leviticus chapter 9, Leviticus chapter 9, this was also communicated and clearly taught to the people in the Old Covenant, right? And under that worship established by God. Leviticus 9 verse 7, Moses then said to Aaron, come near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering that you may make atonement for yourself and for the people. Then make the offering for the people, that you may make atonement for them, just as the Lord has commanded. Before Aaron could go and perform the role of high priest, on behalf of the people, who did he have to offer sacrifice for first? He had to do it for himself, for his own sin. So why would anyone ever believe that he could take away their sins? He can't even take away his own sins, right? He has his own that need to be Sacrifice for then also Leviticus 16. Leviticus 16, verse 6 says, Then Aaron shall offer the bull for the sin offering, which is for himself, that he may make atonement for himself and for his household. And then he will make atonement for the people. So Aaron is himself not qualified to serve as the great high priest over the household of God. And this is because his own sin and the requirement that he offer sacrifice for himself. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. says, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God, in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided, since he himself also is beset with weakness, and because of it he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins. As for the people, so also for himself. And no one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. Then also chapter 7. Chapter 7, verses 26 and 27. It says, For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people. Because this he did once for all, when he offered up himself. Right? This high priest, who is Jesus Christ, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners. Can that ever be said of Aaron or anyone that came from his household? That they were holy, undefiled, innocent, and separated from sinners. And every time they undertook their office of high priest, this was made clear to the people because before they could perform that function, they had to offer a sacrifice for their own sins, proving that they are not holy, innocent, undefiled, and separated from sinners. They're just like us in every way. Not only in terms of our nature, but also in terms of our experience of sin. The priest must approach God. The priest must stand before his throne. The priest must represent the person and the worship of the church to God. And he must make both the people and their worship acceptable in the sight of God. And only a priest who is holy 
innocent, undefiled, and separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens, only he can do this. But one who is merely a man and who is a sinful man, how can he ever represent those people to God in such a way as to make their persons and their offerings and their worship pleasing in the sight of God? In Job chapter 15, in Job 15, verses 14 to 16, it says, even the heavens are not pure in the sight of God. Job 15, verse 14, says, What is man that he should be pure, or he who is born of a woman that he should be righteous? Behold, he puts no trust in his holy ones, and the heavens are not pure in his sight. How much less one who is detestable and corrupt, man who drinks iniquity like water. This is what man is like. He drinks iniquity like water. How can he be pure and righteous in the sight of God? How can anyone from Adam's race, from this lot of humanity that is spoiled by sin, ever arise and represent the rest of us before the very presence of God, before the very throne of God? The chief primary task of the priest is to make atonement for the sins of the people. But how can a sinful man who is in and of himself in need of atonement make atonement for other people? It is impossible. And this is why no creature, no mere mortal man is able to serve in this capacity, in this role as high priest. So then that brings us to the fifth point. There is only one. Only Jesus, the Son of God, is qualified to serve as high priest over the household of God. He is the only one in human history qualified in order to undertake this role and to actually bring about redemption, salvation, the sanctification of the people so that we, his people, and our worship and service to God are actually acceptable and pleasing in his sight. And this is why it was necessary for the Son of God to become the seed of the woman. As it says in Galatians 4, 4, and 5, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. The seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And Jesus was born of a woman, and he was born under the law. And he would offer up his own life for our sins, paying all of our debts and satisfying all of our offenses, and that he would be the one appearing before God's throne and acting for us, and in doing so, he would secure our acceptance before God. Right? When sin entered into the world, the worship of God among men was completely lost and destroyed. And the only way it can be restored is through a priest, through a faithful high priest who is Jesus, the Son of God. And this was all known, foreordained by God before the foundation of the world. This was the good pleasure of God in the creating of the world, was to glorify himself through his Son, Jesus Christ, by exalting him above the heavens and by causing all of his fullness to dwell in him and manifesting his glory in all of these roles that are taken up and fulfilled by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but it was accomplished 2,000 years ago in the incarnation, the life, and the work of Jesus Christ. But for 4,000 years before that, from Genesis 3 all the way to Matthew chapter 1, right, 4,000 years of human history, God appointed various shadows and types as representations of what would be revealed and accomplished through Jesus Christ. This is what the old covenant worship that was instituted by Moses, this is what it served for. It was a schoolmaster to teach the people about the coming of Christ. Not that they should put their hope in these rituals and in these outward elements, but they should put their hope in what they symbolized and what they represented, which would be fulfilled in one person, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the Old Covenant, these roles 
that Jesus would fulfill were varied. There were many of them, and they were fulfilled in many different people. Many persons represented these various offices that Jesus would fulfill. But all of them have their substance in him. They all come down to him and are brought about ultimately through his work. Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. Verses 1 to 6. Hebrews 8 verse 1. Now the main point in what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens, a minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. So it is necessary that this high priest also have something to offer. Now if he were on earth... He would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. Just as Moses was warned by God when he is about to erect the tabernacle, for see, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. They were copies and shadows of heavenly things, but the fulfillment of those things is in Christ. The priests offer gifts and sacrifices on behalf of the people. So it was also necessary that Jesus, the great high priest, also offer gifts and sacrifices for the sins of his people. And what did Jesus have to offer God? What gift, what sacrifice could he offer God that would take away our sins? He could only offer himself. His own body, right? His human body is what he offered up for our sins. He did not offer his divine nature for our sins because how could the divine nature be offered for us? And we have sinned against his divine nature. And the Son of God, as the second person of the Trinity, is also angry with us. He is also offended by our sins. He also has wrath against us because of our sins. Could he offer something from creation? Could he take some element of this created world and offer it as a gift or sacrifice to God to take away the sins of his people? Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Verses 1 to 4. Right In terms of, of order and life, just below us are the animals. Right? Man is above animals, which is good. But in terms of life forms on the earth, the animals are the closest to us in terms of having the breath of life within them. Right? They are a higher form of life than a tree or a flower or a plant or some inanimate object like that. Right? The animals at least have the breath of life and they have blood in them in the way that we do. This is why they were used for the sacrifices in the Old Covenant because they are the form of life that is closest to mankind. Can an animal be offered for the sins of people? Hebrews 10 verse 1. For the law, since it only has a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of the things can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Can the blood of an animal take away the sins of a man? It's impossible, he says. And this was clearly seen because every year, what did they have to do? Over and over and over again. All you had to do was get one year past the first day of atonement. And you would know that those animals that were sacrificed the year before did not take away our sins because we're doing the same ritual year after year after year after year. And all of these rituals over and over and over again because these animals are not able to purify and take away the sins of of the people, but in them there is a reminder of the inefficiency of these things to purify and to remove 
the sins of the people. So the blood of an animal could never take away the sins of a man. What about another man? Could Christ offer the blood of another man to atone for the sins of his people? This would be detestable, and this would be worse than an animal. At least the animal is not a rebel against God. At least the animal is not covered from head to toe with his own sins. But what man could Christ offer for our sins? Seeing that we are all sinful from birth, that we are covered from head to toe with our iniquities, that we drink it like water, leprous all over. And we know from the sacrifices of the Old Covenant that the sacrifice had to be without spot or blemish. And spiritually speaking, morally, that doesn't describe any of us. We, are, we have many spots and many, many, many blemishes. So no man would be qualified to serve as the sacrifice for other men. Only a sinless man could be offered in our place. And who is that sinless man? It is Jesus Christ. He offered his own body, his own humanity, as the sacrifice for our sins. Hebrews 10, verses 5 to 10. Remember, I told you, Hebrews is really focusing on this issue of him being the high priest, right? The high priest and how all these things are fulfilled in, in him. Everything is about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10, verse 5. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. After saying above, sacrifice and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. And by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest offers gifts and sacrifices for the people. What did Jesus offer as the gift and sacrifice for his people? His own body. And it is through his body that we are sanctified, that we are purified once and for all. We have been sanctified by Jesus Christ. This is the chief duty of of Jesus, the Son of God, as high priest over the household of faith. He sanctifies the people. He sanctifies their worship of God so that we are acceptable in his sight. This is why Abel and his offering were acceptable to God, because of the promise that Jesus would offer his body for the sins of Abel. And that is why he was acceptable and his offering was acceptable in the sight of God. Only that which is pure and holy is acceptable in God's sight. Yet, even as believers, can we say that our person right now is completely holy and righteous in the sight of God? That none of us have any sin? No, we can't say that because if we say that, we're sinning. According to 1 John chapter 1, if we have, say we have no sin... We are liars, right? And the truth is not in us. What about our duties? What about our service? Did y'all see this fly attacking me? They, they know. They hate me. They hate me. That's why they come after me. Flies. Okay. What about all of our service, our worship, our duties, our prayers, right? The things that we offer to God. Isn't our whole life to be offered in service to God? Every single aspect of our life is to be presented as a sacrifice of praise to God. Are any of these things pleasing in God's sight because they are perfectly righteous and pure as they come from us? No, we still have the flesh. And because we still have the flesh, whatever we produce, even if there is some good in it, there's still a mixture of sin, of rottenness, of feebleness, of weakness, in that it is coming from us. There is no second of the day that our persons in and of themselves are acceptable to God, and there is no duty of worship or obedience that in and of itself is perfectly pure and acceptable in the sight of God. So how then 
Are we acceptable to God? And how is our worship and our obedience pleasing to him? And it's never on the basis of their own merits, but always on the basis of whose merit? Jesus Christ. Only through Jesus Christ. Because we come to God when we worship God and draw near to him, we are drawing near to him through our great high priest. And all of our worship goes through him. He transacts all of the worship of God's people before the presence of God. He does this on our behalf. So whatever sin is in that, what does he do to it? He takes it away. He purifies it. He removes it. He covers it with his blood so that we become pure in the sight of God and all of our acts of devotion and obedience to God also become pure in his sight, all on the basis of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our person and our duties always pass to God the Father through our high priest, Jesus, the Son of God. Right? In these acts of worship and these duties, when God is producing them in us, where are they coming from? What person of the Trinity is bringing these things about in our life? It's the Holy Spirit of God. And then whatever mixture of defilement there is because of our own sin and flesh, it is taken away by the blood of Christ. So it comes from the Spirit, it passes through the Son, and then it has resulted in what is pure and pleasing in the sight of God. Whatever is sinful, whatever is impure, whatever is of imperfection, he removes it, he sanctifies it so that both we and our worship are acceptable and pleasing in the sight of God. Exodus 28. Exodus 28. Verses 36 to 38. Exodus 28, verse 36. These things were all represented in the various symbols of the Old Covenant. And even in the attire, the vestments that were worn by Aaron, this ministry of Christ and how he sanctifies his people and purifies our worship and our duties before God, this was represented even in the adornment of Aaron ministering as high priest. Exodus 28, verse 36. You shall also make a plate of pure gold, and shall engrave on it like the engraving of a seal, holy to the Lord. You shall fasten it on a blue cord, and it shall be on the turban, and it shall be at the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead, and Aaron shall take away the iniquity of the holy things which the Son of Israel consecrate with regard to all their holy gifts, and it shall always be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. Notice there, the holy things, the holy gifts that the people of God offer, there is still iniquity in them, and this iniquity is taken away symbolically through this sign, this engraving on the turban that says, holy to the Lord. And all of that finds its fulfillment in who? In Jesus Christ. Our holy gifts, our holy offerings to God, Though there is a mixture of iniquity, he makes them holy to the Lord because he is the one representing us to God and his blood has covered all of our sins. And he removes it as far as the east is from the west so that it is pure in the sight of God. Then one other passage, Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8, verses 3 to 4. Revelation 8, verse 3, this also is symbolized here. Another angel came and stood at the altar, holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him, so that he might add it to the prayers of the saints on the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. There, this incense that is added to the prayers of the saints makes their prayers sweet, soothing, a pleasing aroma in the nostrils of God. And who is this incense added to our prayers? 
How is it that our prayers are heard and are pleasing in the sight of God? Because of the ministry of Christ. He sanctifies them so that whatever we produce becomes a pleasing aroma in the sight of God on the basis of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because he is his beloved son, and with him he is well pleased. And when we are hidden with Christ, we are his sons, and he is well pleased with us on his basis. And this is how he performs his ministry over the household of God. And this will be true for all eternity. For all eternity, he will perform this role of high priest over the people of God. It's true at our conversion. It is true in our life. It will be true for all eternity. God's people and their worship will be acceptable in his sight always and only on the basis of Jesus Christ. As it says in 1 Corinthians 1, 30 to 31, But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who has become to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So let us boast in the Lord only, in the Lord Jesus Christ, and put no confidence in our own flesh, no confidence in our own works or our own abilities, but only in him and what he has done for us. And always be grateful and thankful for his ministry over the household of God and how he is the one who is able to sanctify us and present our worship to God, which is what we want to do today, right? Didn't we gather today to worship God? Yet look at how feeble and weak we are. How could this be acceptable to such a holy and righteous God? Because of our Lord Jesus Christ. He does this for us all the time, every day. And this is why we have such confidence to approach the throne of grace and find mercy in our time of need. Because we have a high priest there who is representing us, who is interceding on our behalf, and who is well acquainted with our weaknesses. He has mercy and pity for us because he knows, he knows who we are. He knows that we are dust. He's been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. He knows how to help us in our time of need. So let us then always and continually go to our great high priest and call upon him in our time of need. Let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for... Lord, just, again, the, the greatness, Lord, of your wisdom, Lord, of your glory, Lord, of your mercy and compassion, Lord, that you have over us, Lord, that you are the one who has designed, Lord, this role of high priest originated in your mind and in your will, and Lord, you are the one who has appointed Jesus Christ as the great high priest over the household of God. And Lord, we thank you that he is able to fulfill this role with perfection. Lord, everything that he does, he does well. And as a high priest, we know that he is able to atone for our sins. Lord, we need to have, Lord, no doubt that if we have believed in him, that we would be condemned or that our sin would remain. Lord, there is nothing else needed. You have provided it all. And we thank you, Lord, that he is still serving and ministering before you on our behalf as our mediator by which we are able to draw near to you. Lord, may we always keep this in our mind. And Lord, we pray that by faith we would always see him there, seated at your right hand. Lord, ministering before you on our behalf. Lord, sanctifying both us and our service to you. Lord, we know that we are weak. Lord, we are filled with, Lord, many sins. Lord, the flesh still remains within us. Lord, we are pulled by the world, the flesh, and the devil. And Lord, in many ways, we fail you. Lord, we sin against you. We, Lord, we are so weak in our duties. Lord, it's hard for us to maintain our focus. Lord, to not catch ourselves drifting here and there in our own thoughts even when we come and gather to worship you, Lord, even when we are drawing near and offering prayers to you, Lord, how easy it is for us to wander, to grow weary, Lord, because of the weakness of our own flesh. But Lord, we are so grateful that you are still working within us and that even though we are unfaithful, you remain faithful to us. And Lord, we thank you that 
whatever your Spirit is producing in us. Lord, though from the Spirit there is goodness and holiness, but Lord, as it is coming in and through us, there is still this mixture of the flesh. Lord, we are so grateful that whatever it is that we are and whatever it is that we do by way of service to you, Lord, all of it comes before your throne through our great high priest in that he is the one who is purifying us and sanctifying us so that both our person, Lord, and our worship are acceptable in your sight. Even today, Lord, we thank you that you are well pleased with what we have done on the basis of Christ. So, Lord, may we never forget this and may we never trust in our own works, Lord, our own goodness, Lord, whatever feeble obedience we might produce. But, Lord, rather, our confidence would be only in him. And, Lord, we pray that he would continue to purify and sanctify us and, Lord, cause us to walk in righteousness and truth. Lord, be with us as we go from here. We pray for your blessing, Lord, to be upon us. Lord, give us safety as we travel home. Lord, especially we pray for our friends from Texas who have such a long drive. Lord, watch over them. Lord, guard them on the way. And we pray that you would continue to bless them and build up them and their families. And we thank you for the time of fellowship and worship with them this weekend. And Lord, for the friendship that we have with them. So Lord, be with them and bless them. And Lord, bless us as well. And it is in Christ's precious name that we pray. Amen.